You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We like to do updates in the local market, but we also love to chat with successful investors. But a lot of the investors we have come on our show are doing multifamilies, buy and holds, flips, burrs. Really, it's all kind of in this one bucket. So today I want to interview our guest, Darcy Marler. He's been investing in real estate since 2001. He's had 92 properties with over 240 doors and built 50 new homes, plus a whole bunch of other things in the commercial space. So I really asked him today, what are some lessons you've learned over the last 20 years as now is maybe a key moment in Canadian real estate? What are some things, some lessons that we should consider that you've learned over the last several decades? But then we also talk about the idea of choosing the right investment vehicle. We get a lot of the same voices talking about the same methods of investing. And what I love about Darcy is he was able to share with us some other strategies, other ways you can invest in real estate that isn't your typical fix and flip or buy, renovate, and refinance. But then I also asked him to the future. In the next five years, what do you see coming in our market? So we had a wonderful conversation today talking about some of the threats, the opportunities that lie ahead of us in the Canadian real estate market. I know I learned a ton today and had a wonderful conversation. If you get value out of this video, please hit that like and subscribe to our channel. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Darcy, thank you for joining us on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. What a beautiful day it is today. We actually had a little bit of snow in Ontario when we're recording this, which is kind of odd given that it's the end of april i, I don't know if it's a... about west i guess you guys are used to snow all year round eh? it's literally blizzarding outside my window right now <laughs> as I uh darcy i'm so glad to have you on the show man we we have a lot of guys come on and and everyone is very they're they're very focused on the one thing that they're doing we get a lot of people yeah. talk about burrs flips it's a very common story i think in the real estate industry and this is why i wanted you on the show you've got experience with all of those things could you tell us a little bit about your past? And then I want to get into maybe some other options and give people a little bit of a chance to sit back and actually look if they're doing the thing that they love. But I want to hear first of, I know you've been in this for 20 years, is it? Over 20 years now? Yeah, 2001. So yeah, 20 years exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I was a computer guy. I was living and working full-time in South America in the late 90s. And I, I built up a little, little bit of, a, of investment and I got burnt out, didn't want to see a computer again. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Canada. I've always wanted to be that uh, guy on TV that in the middle of the night that uh, invests in real estate. So I'm going to go do that. So I came back to Calgary. And, and since then, I've, I've owned about uh, what 90 some properties and 240 doors. And I've done land development and new construction and fix and flips and burr. And we didn't call it burr when I started. It was just uh, fix and reno or fix and, and refinance basically in the day. They got all these new words. We didn't call it burr either. But so and then I've done uh, all kinds of other things, land parceling, uh, long-term rentals. I've done uh, everything from single family to duplexes all the way up to 21 unit, I think is my biggest. So I've kind of been all over the place and then done a little bit of everything. So so, to... so over the 20 years, did you, did you adjust because the market changed or did you adjust based on interest? Like what was the motivation for jumping around a bit? Um, I have no ability to focus basically is my problem. So I'd, I'd see the next shiny trinket, the next shiny toy over there. Hey, that looks cool. 
so I'd be in the middle of one project and, and, and see something else. In, in fact, I, you know, as I've kind of done a little soul searching over the last couple of years, I realized I've been calling myself a, a full-time real estate investor for 20 years, but really I was just buying myself a job. I was for the next six months, I'll do this flip or for the next year, I'll do this land development. Right. And I, I wasn't really investing. Investing would be where you put your money and then and let others do the work. But I was actually, um, you know, I was my own general contractor. I was my own on-site supervisor guy all day, every day. And uh, so it wasn't, yeah, I was just basically, it, no different than a, you know, a guy who buys a Subway sandwich franchise and actually works there all day, every day. It's not an investment. You're just buying yourself a job. Let's let's call it what it is. So that's what I did. Yeah. I when, when you look in hindsight, I'm curious because... I get a lot of people ask, Hey, I want to invest. Hey, I want to do those big things. And I find that there's a little bit of a, you almost have to do it one time in order to understand the process. So I'm curious yeah. if you were to go back, would, would you have it be fully managed from day one? Or do you think that was maybe necessary as you've kind of grown? I, I, I that was, I've come to terms with that's kind of my personality. I, I get bored really easy. Right. So I, I don't know that I could have done it another way. I would have liked, I would have, if I could go back, I, I would have a true mentor. I didn't really have a mentor. A mentor to me is is someone who sits you down and, and uh, really just tries to find out who you are and what your personality is, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then where do you want to be in 10 years, and then kind of works backwards, almost reverse engineers that to, to find a proper strategy that's going to work for you. I think too many of us, as you said, just kind of dive into to flips and long-term rentals because I really don't know what else is out there, but there's, there's all kinds of different opportunities to, to get into real estate investment and, and you know, get in, in ways that'll probably speak to your personality a little bit better and make you, make you happy. You can actually enjoy your investments too. I don't know if you knew that, but you can actually enjoy <laughs> the journey too. You don't just have to go for the money. Absolutely. So yeah. for any of you guys tuning in to the show, to the podcast today, thank you. And obviously you can see Darcy's got a wealth of experience. I, I want to kind of give a little bit of a context for the show today. I want to talk about kind of where you've come from, some of the, the different things you've seen in the past over the last couple of decades you've been doing this. Then we can talk a little bit about as a coach and you've written several books, we can talk about some of the lessons there. And to kind of wrap up, I'm curious to see where things are headed and where you kind of see things and how you're taking those next steps. So Good. I guess to, to kind of start that dialogue, to, when you look back over the last 20 years, what are some of the big moments where you look back, you're like, this was a very interesting time because most investors, at least the ones I'm talking to are relatively young. They've been in it for maybe five, 10 years. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, maybe it's because the, the level of success happens really quickly, but it seems as though most people around me don't have that kind of horizon. So I'm curious, what were some big shifts that you saw that you would maybe pass on the wisdom of just a bit of a heeding some caution? You know, I'm curious, what were big things where you would kind of like pulling your hair out, maybe go a little gray, those types of yeah. things. You see my gray hair, dude. There you go. <laughs> this is all from real estate. Uh, yeah, I, I've actually I'm based out of Calgary, so uh, I've been riding the Alberta roller coaster uh, for 20 years. The, the real boom and bust, boom and bust thing. I know probably a lot of your uh, listeners are in the Ontario region, but uh, one thing I've noticed just recently, kind of the, as we headed into 2015, uh, we we hit a real recession here in Alberta. And one thing that's changed, I think, is the demographics of who's buying and who's renting now. So as you see the tail end millennials and the, the first step of the, the Gen Zs coming on board, um, they like nice, they like new, and they, they don't like that. And I actually had a bunch of, I, I've still got about uh, 15 properties and 107 doors as rentals or something. 
Um, most of my product is, is that kind of 80s product that I've renovated. Uh, it's never looked better. It's got, you know, it's never had laminate floor or, or tiled backsplash around the tub before. So they're, you know, they're, they're okay looking buildings, but you're, I'm getting my butt kicked by that brand new duplex next door, the brand new eightplex down the street. And there's a gravitation now with these, this younger kids, they, they, they grew up in a nicer home typically, and, and they kind of want to move out into something that nice as well. So you're seeing this kind of gravitation towards, you know, flight to nice or flight to, to good quality. And it's, it's leaving a lot of this older product in, in, in the wayside. And I think that's happening all over. I think it got sped up a little bit because of the, the issues in Alberta and the recession. But I, I see that as a continuing trend is it, uh, you know, I focus on new as opposed to kind of renovations now. Um, and then that old, that old kind of debate, if you've got an older building, should you tear it down and, and build something new or should you renovate it? Before I always would have just renovated. That was kind of my, my bread and butter for years. I, I would fix and flip some really nasty stuff. Uh, but now, no, I'm, I'm all about new cause I'm getting educated by the younger kids that that's, that's what they want. So, well, I wonder if that, if they always wanted new, but nine in the nineties, nineties was new it, or, or do you think that that's actually a trend that recently in the last couple of years or due to COVID, like it's a very recent trend. I, I think a little bit of both. I, I actually, I, I have this theory that I think all of us were willing to live in a place of equal quality to what we grew up in and maybe five, 10 years older, right? So now as we head into 2020, nobody's interested in a 1940s building really. Like, you know, you'll get the odd person that thinks it's chic or something, but for the most part, people are comfortable only in kind of what they grew up in. And, and so, you know, even even ourselves, I, I, my first, uh, I moved out in the 80s and, and so, the building I moved into was a 70s three-story walk-up. I'd live there still, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a 40s or a 50s building kind of thing. Yeah. And I just think it's a, it's a matter of it's just 2021 now and, and people that are buying and renting or grew up in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s with that level of quality of building. And that's what they want to, that's what they want to see. Yeah, and it's interesting thinking at from an investor's perspective. I mean, naturally, the cash flow would be lower out of these newer buildings. I mean, some of the older yeah. product, the reason that historically they've been favored is for that reason, yet similar rents, maybe a little bit less, but not nowhere near the price point. So it's interesting to see that. Any other big shifts? I mean, I know you're talking specific to Calgary, but maybe even if we go outside of Alberta, like what are some big changes? I mean, if we look over the last 20 years, like what interest rates have done, we've seen markets yeah. go up and down and big changes that I think people are at this point in time, people yell bubble, bubble. I mean, it's a very easy thing to say, but without much context for that, are you yeah. seeing similar patterns? So it was happening at that time, or is this just people saying bubble <laughs> since the 1990s? Yeah, they always say, they always say bubble. There's always a bubble. Just one more thing on that new, there's a real influx lately uh, into Alberta from investors from Toronto and, and that a massive, and they all want new, like they're, they're, they don't want that 1980s product. So it, it's, it's there as well. Yeah. As far as kind of shifts, I'll, I'll put on my old man hat. I, I remember the 80s recession. I've been through about five or six major recessions in my life. This one's different. Um, back in the 80s, interest rates were like 16, 17%, right? So my first house that I bought, actually personal residence was 1987. I was 20 years old. My interest rate was 12 and a half percent, right? 
so my investing philosophy back at the time was if that interest rate goes below 10%, you lock that in fixed because that's good money. Over 10%, I'm going to leave it variable, right? So now I'll walk into a Starbucks and I'll see this young couple sitting there arguing over whether they should go fixed or variable. And the interest rate's like 2.9%. I just want to slap them upside the head and say, go long, <laughs> 7%, lock it in. It's free money. Shut up. Just mm -hmm. do it. So that's kind of a, a, a shift that's happened. And then just in general, I think with COVID and all that, we, uh, I wrote a blog the other day about it with new construction and pricing and all that. And, and I, I see a real move to uh, a really big asset class that, that's really taking off is, is kind of industrial warehouse space because you've got all these kind of brick and mortar businesses that are having trouble retail specifically that, that can't get people in the door and everything's going online. And that trend was going there anyway, but it, I think it really got sped up with uh, with COVID. You're really seeing a, a lot of interest worldwide in, in uh, that interest, that industrial uh, uh, warehousing space, because logistically people got to store the stuff they're shipping to you. They got to store it someplace in between uh, the main manufacturer and, and your door. They've got to put it someplace. So that's, that's an area to watch for, I think, in the future, kind of. That's really going to heat up. Yeah, and the federal budget just came out, and, and there's a big talk of changing over office space into residential. So there's a, I guess, a reallocation of what people value and what what classes are going to perform. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so you've written four books now. Have you yep. finished the fourth, or you're working on the fourth? I finished the fourth. Yep. Beautiful. So let's go through each of the books because I think they're going to highlight different aspects of of some of the work you've done, some of the lessons you've learned, and kind of take one or two key points from each of them. So what was the very first one that you wrote? It's called comparing the real estate strategies. So I actually look at the main eight real estate strategies. So fix and flip, uh, I forget them when I'm on the spot here. Land development, new construction, fix and flip, long-term long rentals, commercial, uh, land parceling, and changing the use of an existing building. So I, I take a look at all those, what's good and what's bad. Because I think I, I've kind of got a general problem with the real estate education industry in general is that we do focus just on flips and and long-term rentals nobody really looks at anything else and plus a lot of the books and everything on tv they're all kind of pollyanna where everything works perfectly and if you follow my my uh, plan you'll be a millionaire in a year and you know the the property brothers always make money on every investment and so i just wanted to show what's real here's what's good and bad about each of the investments uh here's the kind of personality you need for for that um, and here's what to watch out for. Here's what's good about fix and flip, for example, but here's where flips can kick your butt. And I went through each of the different, because I have experience in each and every one of them. Um, I've, I've made money in every one and I've lost money in every strategy, right? So that's kind of reality too, right? So uh, kind of tries to be, paint a real picture. What would picture. be one category that you think is overplayed? So it's, I mean, I, I think any of these we would say are, are good. I mean, for the right person. But which ones would you say are overplayed and which ones are being kind of written off or should be maybe looked at closer out of those eight categories? Well, I think 95% in the industry is, is fix and flip and rentals and now Burr. Um, so those, those, that's well-documented. You can find up to million books about that and whatever. Um, I would say that, you know, and, and that might be the best, those might be the best investments for where you are and what, what your kind of cash flow requirements are and what you're looking for but take a look at everything else too because i i think for example new construction and land development can be done by joe q average and i don't think most people realize that i think they think oh that's just for the big boys and you need millions of dollars and 10 years to kind of develop and if you're doing 100 acres and 
you know, 50 homes. Yeah, but you know, you can get into those kind of investment vehicles a lot easier and, and there's easy ways to, and quicker ways to, to get in and out of those investments as well. So I'd, I'd look at everything and then kind of figure out who you are and what you are, what's your strengths and weaknesses, and then plan an attack uh, based on that. Get, get it. Okay. You, you said exactly kind of what I wanted there on, on the yeah. development. So development is something that you stand behind as someone, someone newer with maybe a bit of money. I mean, you need to have some kind of money but is an avenue where you can really scale or start early on. I'm, I'm curious, what does that look like for someone who's newer? Like, how does that, how can you get into that? Cause I mean, and, and nowadays, I mean, we see building costs going through the roof, you know, there's so yeah. many things that are, people are just, it's so daunting. I'm curious, yeah. what does that look like? And is that, is that a strategy if you were to start off all over again, that you could see yourself really taking off in? Yes. Yeah, for example, yeah, and that's actually a great segue into book number three, land development as a profitable investment. Um, actually, so yeah, there's ways in, in my book, I use three different case studies, kind of a, a smaller uh, land development I did than a midsize. And then I was involved in a large, uh, the actual racetrack in Northeast Calgary that's right next to a major mall. I was, I was uh, involved in that. So to start out my very first, um, land development slash new construction project was I was a flipper and I, I bought a house and then the guy next to me said you want to buy this one too so I had two really nice kind of corner lots so I moved the two old houses off I subdivided the two lots into four um, two of those lots were serviced from the old houses so I put in the, the underground services to the two new lots and then I had basically four uh, four land developable service shovel ready lots. Um, I decided to go ahead and, and do the actual build of four new kind of infills myself, but I could have sold those uh, myself. So someone just getting in, you know, even taking one lot, moving the old house off, subdividing it into to two, and you can just leave it at that. You can sell that. Um, you don't even have to put in the, the services into the second. You can sell one service lot and one unserviced lot. There's always intermediate steps, like the take the racetrack, for example, when we started the, we bought farmland at 2000 an acre. And now 15 years later, you've got the mall, you've got the casino, you've got all this and stuff that's happening in Northeast Calgary. You know, lots are going for anywhere from 600,000 an acre to a million dollars an acre. So you can be intermediate person in, in any one of the steps going, you know, take it from 2000 an acre to 10,000 an acre and, and take a profit there. You can, you know, you can take one larger lot, subdivide it into three. You can parcel, you can take three smaller lots, do all the work has to be done down at City Hall to kind of merge that into one and get ready for an apartment building. Uh, but you don't physically have to build the apartment building, right? You can take it to the next step, do a lot of the work, and then that has value for the next person because builders want to build, developers want to develop. They don't want to spend a year, year and a half at City Hall mucking over plans if, if if you can do that then that's a, that's kind of a, an intermediate step that you can do without a ton of money because because you're basically just it's time and 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 you're dealing with city hall and you're, you're kind of putting up with that uh, on behalf of somebody else and making a, making some money doing that and and to add to that i mean in the downtown core i mean we see lane houses is such a popular thing now and and that would be another avenue to do that this, this is exactly, exactly why i want you on the show darcy because i think there's there's a just misinformation that everyone needs to have tenants, right? You need to have renters. If you're going to be successful investing in real estate and simply not true. 
And now, now obviously there's various levels of risk depending on what you're doing. And there's some timelines involved depending on the, the area you're in, but just having this other perspective, I think is so valuable that it's often missed. And I don't think people who are super successful haven't explored them. I just think that they like to focus on the things that they're good at. And, and so oftentimes there's not enough light shed on these other avenues, unless you're already deep entrenched in it. So yeah. Yeah, we cover book one, book three. What about, what about your second book? What was that one about? Second book is, is cash management. So it kind of says, okay, so all these guys are saying, um, let's get into real estate, but you don't have an, any money. So let's do, you know, no money down. No, no money down was huge in the eighties and nineties when I started. Um, there's actually a website out there that, that tracks what happened to all these 1980s gurus. And, and this guy was in jail twice. This guy went broke. This guy died penniless. You know, it's hilarious. These, you know, the Robert Allens and the Charles Gibbons. Is the, anyway. uh, yeah, so, so the second book was, okay, what if you don't have any money? What are 30 ideas of way to, to do money? So, you know, bird dogging or whole, they call it wholesaling now. Everything's got a fancy term now. It didn't back in the 80s. So, uh, but you know, what if you do have a little bit of money coming in from an inheritance? What should you do? So it, it started to look at what if you don't have any money? And then the next couple of chapters were, you know, okay, now you've got a building. What's ways to increase cash flow from, from existing buildings, it talks about how to raise money. Uh, so how do you talk to JV partners? And how do you, I, I, because of the racetrack and some other things I've done, I've had the opportunity to talk to some really high net worth individuals, right? So how do you, how do you kind of approach that? And, and so there's some advice on kind of that whole cash, cash in. And once you've got some money um, or once you've got some buildings, what do you, what do you do to increase cash flow? You know, how do you, you know, there's a little bit of empty space there, you know, let's maybe put some bike racks or some storage space or whatever. Just uh, always be looking, be creative is kind of the theme of the book and just find ways to, to do better. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, we've chatted with some guys recently on the no money down and, and you just repackage it, right? It's been repackaged and sold in different ways and different partnerships and models. I was recently, we just chatted with a guy, uh, Matthew Frederick actually had uh, a brand new model for using JVs to help different generations. So there's so many ways to take similar concepts and, and repackage them based yeah. on the needs. So beautiful. Okay. And book number four is on new construction. So right. this is the one you said you just finished. Tell me a little bit about how do you generate a profit from new construction? Is this something for everybody or is this for a specific type of person as well? Everything, well, all everything's for a specific type of person. So that's kind of my major theme overall is match your personality to, to kind of what you, you know, it, not everybody wants to do deal with icky when it comes to flips, right? Like not everybody wants to deal with asbestos and, you know, and, and cat urine and all that kind of stuff. Not everybody wants to deal with tenants. So, you know, you've, you've got to find your, your way, but what's cool about new construction and what, and what I put forward, what I've learned basically from the last five years of, of being allowed bird is is you know or for 20 years is the economy goes up and down right so you really want to get in to an investment in and out quickly and i'm not saying that you know get rich quick i'm saying the longer you're in it the greater your risk because the greater the chances the economy will change the greatest the greater the chance the interest rates will go up the greater the chance city hall will will put in some new law that or moratorium that restricts you so you really want to get in and out of these things as, as quickly as you can so the way to do that is is work in in municipalities or jurisdictions that are more uh friendly that have less red tape you know for example i'm, I'm working with a group now and i'm just starting to do some new construction work in houston actually in texas so you know to get a to get a a uh a permit in texas is for houses is, is like a month it's you know 
eight months to a year here in Calgary. Wow. To physically build, they don't have basements, they don't have the R factor. It's four or five months to physically build the building versus eight to 12 months up here, right? So, you know, everything you can do to kind of shorten that time you're actually physically in the investment is better for you. It's better for your JV partners. Everybody likes their money back quicker. So that's part of the benefit of these land developments doing, you know, a long-term land development finds sometimes you're, you're in there for several years, but like I said, to, to go from three parcels down to one, isn't that time consuming to build new in certain areas, isn't that time consuming. And the other thing I try to put forward in the book is kind of a, uh, a plan really to, to, to create uh, something new development. You know, you can do small, like I said, my first was a couple of infills. Um, you can start there, you can um, do a kind of a standalone little commercial building. Um, you know, there's different things. Basically I put forward, you know, the plan of here's the six or seven steps that you need to physically do it, match your abilities and match your uh, pocketbook to what's works best. And, and basically I focus, the strength is really on the strength of your team, right? Like if you're going to build, you know, find out what your area needs. So let's say it needs hotels, for example. So you want to build a small hotel and you've got kind of the pocketbook to do that. You know, you want a realtor, you want a, uh, an architect and you want a general contractor that have built hotels before, right? So even if you've never done it before, the strength of your team would would basically carry it. You're not physically swinging the hammer anyway. So great, really, it's just about putting the team together and making sure that you've got experienced people in place. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned you're investing in the US. Where Where is it specifically you're looking? And are you still looking in Canada or just in the States right now? No, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some stuff in Canada too. I've, um, I got to be honest, I, I'm not going to get on a little political rant here, but we, we do have um, some real serious issues with 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 size of governments and permitting. You know, it takes two years to do a, a permit for anything of size in Vancouver, for example. So um, you just can't have that. Like there's just way too much red tape. Governments have gotten too big. So I, I look for places where you can kind of get in and out quick, right? Because yeah. um, I've learned that over the last 20 years. Um you know, twice now in the 2008 recession, I was 21 units done out of a 36 unit development and I got kind of hammered there. And then again, in 2015, I was in the middle of something and then it, the, the kind of economy kind of crapped out on me. So, you know, so hey, let's get in and out quick was, was good. I, I always tell myself, you know, you only have to kick me in the head three or four times before I figure stuff out. So, uh, <laughs> so these are some of the things I've learned, get in and out quick. So, so we're going to go there in a second, because I do want to talk about future and, and where things are going. And I, and I can see the movement based on timeline. So I see that point, but let, let, I want to talk about where you think things are headed. But one of the things that I think is important too, is a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to yes. be successful, right? And they see, I mean, I'm, I, I perpetuate the issue by bringing on guests such as yourself that are super successful many years down the line. But what would you say to someone who's starting out? Like, how do you take some of that pressure off? And what would you consider a win or, or a step in the right direction for someone who's just kind of getting into the investing world? All good. Relax. Breathe. It's going to be fine. Like, you, you'll do fine. Actually, funny, actually, funny you say that. The last three uh, um, mentoring clients that I've picked up have all been 35 years old. They're all male. They all have a small family. They've got one child. And they're all terrified that, I'm too late. Like I'm 35, you know, I, I should have 20 units already. No, like it's all good. 
And the other thing that the industry does is they perpetuate it, right? Like, you know, yeah. I have a great, I just bought 300 doors in the last three years. And I can, like, why, why do you need 300 doors? Like you don't. So just calm down. So <laughs> what I tell people, and that's the other thing too, is, is, you know, a lot of times on the covers of books, you'll see the, or on Instagram, you know, you'll see the, the private jet and the Lamborghini and you can have this too. I've talked to a ton of people in 20 years in real estate. Nobody really wants the Lamborghini. Like, no, like nobody really wants to summer in Cannes, like, you know, in, in the south of France. Like most people just want to live a normal kind of nice Canadian life, but just have the, 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 the monetary income to kind of do it without a lot of stress and pressure, right? Like most people want a typical, you know, like Warren Buffett, he still lives in the same house that he lived in for 60 years, right? So you don't need the 100 doors and the 240 doors. Like, like if I would go back in time and tell myself, you don't need it. Like, don't, you're empire building just for your ego, really. Like, you just, yeah. you don't need it, right? Most people would be fine. And in one of my books, I talk about, you know, like, uh, if you were to buy, just continue your life. Like, most people want to be a, a full-time real estate investor because, oh, my God, that's so sexy. It's stressful as hell. Like I can tell you stories about how I was a millionaire on paper, but I, you know, I, I had my credit card declined at buying groceries. Kind of thing. I couldn't buy groceries for my family. Like, no, it's not sexy. Keep your day job and then just invest on the side. It's a hell of a lot more easier. You can ride out the, the tough times better because you've actually got an income. What I would say for most people is, is, you know, if you can buy one duplex a year for the next five years, have them paid off in 15 years, you've got a great, excellent little retirement there. Like what's wrong with that? Not a lot of stress, find it, you know, so that's kind of a, a goal for, for most people. You know, again, I'm going back into the long-term rentals, but that's a, that's a very doable thing and it's not stressful and, and you don't need to empire build and, and just live a life and have real estate on the side is, is kind of a way better thing for most people. Most people are better fit for that. Yeah, okay. All right. You ready to get into a little bit of crystal ball work in here? We're going to, okay. So I'm, I'm curious. So you can tell us if you want, you can sprinkle in some of the investment decisions you've made, but it's not, it's not necessary, but I'm curious what happens in the next five years. Now, obviously there's, that's a huge open-ended question, but from the things that you can see that are, are taking place, what do you anticipate is going or, or in what areas will we see change if not confident on what the change will be. I'm curious, what's the, what's the writing on the wall for different markets? Where are people headed? What, what specific segments maybe of the real estate community are going to outperform? I'm curious what, what you're seeing right now. Um, immigration, I think is going to play a huge part of it. We kind of stopped for a little bit because of COVID, but eventually that'll, we'll get out of that. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver are typically the spots. Western Canada is hot if, if, if they've got jobs, which they don't right now. I'm still thinking though, that as, as we head into next year and, and maybe the, uh, the, the tap on immigration gets turned on again, I, I think you'll see a lot of those coming to Western Canada because Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal are, are kind of too expensive. Having said that, because Vancouver, Montreal and Toronto are port cities, you'll always see kind of growth and, and, and there's a built in uh, economies of scale or economies in general um built into those so i think immigration is going to be a big thing um i th i think you're going to see um brick and mortar like i said i think retail i think the corner strip mall in the corner is still going to do well you still need the dry cleaner and the little you know those the vet and the 
and the corner pub. Uh, larger malls, I think, are in trouble. I think that was going that way anyway. I think COVID has kind of exacerbated that and sped that up. I can see 2050 coming along and us not really having universities anymore, kind of brick and mortar universities. I think all of that's going to go online. So a lot of these trends were going there anyway. I think they just got sped up because of COVID. Um, I, I, we talked about the industrial warehousing space. I think that's going to be good. I think I would focus on new, as I said. Um, if you're if you're owning 1930s, 1940s, 1950s buildings, those are ready for teardown. You're not probably going to be able to sell them too many more times. I, I think maybe once more, but I, I think those those types of buildings are 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 gone. So are gone. So I wouldn't I wouldn't invest in really really old stuff. I'd I'd keep it newer, 1990s and newer, um, for the reasons we talked about before. Um, Retail, like I said, it's going to have issues, but the corner, the corner, you know, a little standalone commercial building, a little strip mall, I, th I think those are, are still fine. So yeah. that's, that's as good a crystal ball as I got. But I, and I think even, even in COVID. See, I think it's funny. We talk about making money, making money, making money, but a big part of building wealth is protecting the money, right? Like how do we, like that is ultimately the most important wealth preservation. Right. So what are some of the larger threats that you see right now? Um, posed. And I think if just kind of some red flags that you're keeping your eye on to make sure either, like either they don't come forward or just steer, steer clear of to make sure that there's no issues there for you and, and your current portfolio. Yeah, I would say Canada as a whole debt is a big deal, especially with government. Governments is the biggest enemy at this stage. Not that I'm a massive libertarian and a, and a conspiracy theorist, but just the levels of debt um, is troubling. And then just the level of red tape, like I said, of it's, you know, just real quick, just in my own experience, 2001, I took out my first building permit application in the city of Calgary and the, the, the checklist was a page and a half and I needed to supply three blueprints. The last one I did, it, uh, the, the checklist is now 11 pages long of things you have to supply. They require you to sign six other forms, like, you know, you've never had asbestos in this house. There's never been an oil well on your property, kind of thing, those kind of things. And then you had to supply 15 blueprints. So that's that's how, even in you know, conservative Alberta, that's how much the paperwork and the, the red tape is, has grown. And it's just arduous, right? Like, and it's we used to get an answer back in two or three weeks. Now we're six to eight months at best, at best, to get an answer on a permit, right? And same thing, it's even worse in places like Vancouver. And then you're you're complaining about, well, you know, there's no places to rent and vacancy is at zero well duh like duh like how about you make it easier for people to build stuff and quicker to build stuff and yeah and you know because I, I read somewhere too that like 50 or 60 percent of the cost of a new condo in Vancouver is, is government fees and permits right because yeah. they saw this about 10 or 15 years ago too the, the government the city government in Vancouver saw um all these developers flipping and making money. So they wanted to get in on that action too. So they upped the fees for everything. And now you're, you're seeing the, the results of that and then nobody's building. And it's just really hard to, to get stuff in the ground. Yeah. And, and I think it goes both ways, right? Cause someone would look at those same facts and say, you know what, that's the opportunity, right? The delay and, and the supply, maybe for a developer, there's not as much an opportunity there, but for the person who owns a property, whether they're older or not, there's no competition coming in. And maybe people will look at it and say, well, it can't get any worse. I mean, at some point it has to get 
easier. But I mean, these are for someone who's building, I mean, there's no reason for you to have 10 times the wait time to have something approved. That's unreasonable. So no, it it, it really is just growth of, of the number of people physically being employed by government. And, um, you know, they kind of have to justify their existence. And so yeah. before the paperwork would go from this person's desk to that person's desk, now it got to kind of stop three people in between. Um, it doesn't have to, but that's, they just kind of worked themselves into the system. And that, and that really is why you've got, like I said, 11 pages of checklists and 15 blueprints, because now everybody wants, wants to justify their existence, basically. So yeah. um, if we can find a way, but that's, that's kind of, you know, in the 80s, you know, one in six Canadians was employed by government, then it's one in five, now it's one in four, right? So it's, that's where we're at, is it? So that's kind of why I'm looking at the states, to be honest. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Awesome. Darcy, thank you. If you could tell us where people can find a little bit more info about you, if they're curious in investigating, maybe one of the books kind of struck home with them and um, where people can find you. Good. Yeah, no, my, my uh, website is hrrealestatementors.com. Um, <clears throat> HR stands for Hutton Radway, hrrealestatementors.com. And I do, uh, I've got the books, I'm, I'm coming out with some courses and I've also do mentoring and I'm also, you know, still active in, in, in uh, new construction and all that. So yeah, I've got all kinds of things going. So yeah, guys, please, if you could support the channel, if you learned something today, you could share it on Instagram and uh, you can tag Darcy Marler. What would, do you have Instagram? Do you have an Instagram handle? I do. Yeah. It's Savannah books 15. Awesome. We'll make sure all those things are tagged as well. But thank you, Darcy, for taking time. And maybe we'll have you get on the show down the road and see some of the things you're doing in the U.S. I would like that. Yeah, I'd really love that. Have a great time. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you Take very care. much.